Um, so good thing we have two screens. Uh, so I want to start today with a question. We've been continuing a series um, called Consumer Christianity in 1 Corinthians. And I want to start today by asking you guys just a very simple question. Um, it's not theological. It's more simple than that. So what is, and I want some feedback on this, so what is the most important part of a car? Someone just shout out some answers. What do you think is the most important part of a car? So I heard a couple of, okay, so I heard a lot of engines. Anybody else? Someone says steering wheel. Someone said seat belts. Is that what I heard? Seat belts. Very safety conscious over here. Uh, yes. The frame. Okay, Yes. The driver, that's a really good point, yes, yes. What's that? Bluetooth, Bluetooth, yes. The engine, okay, you say engine. So I heard a lot of engines, uh, I don't think I heard any transmissions, um, but you see, like, it's, it's actually kind of hard for us to determine what is the most important part of a car, right? Because we understand that what is an engine without anything else? What is an engine without, like, wheels and a frame and brakes and a steering wheel? Um, it really doesn't mean much if you don't have all those things working together. So if you were to ask me that very same question, I would say that depends on when you ask me that question. Because most of the time I'd give answers like you guys just gave, like, you know, engine, transmission, brakes. Uh, but if you ask me that question on July 20th, 2023, around four o'clock in the afternoon, as I was heading east on Interstate 10 in Houston, in about eight lanes of traffic, I would have had a different answer for you. If you'd asked me in that moment, what is the most important part of a car? I would have said air, air in the tires, all right? Now, I've got a photo of this. Uh, so on the mission trip with some students, this past summer, um, I'm driving to the church suburban, and uh, we're going down I-10, about eight lanes of traffic, and I've got um, some really important people in this car with me. I've got uh, Catherine, I've got Cambry, Jalea, Haley, and Mia are all in the car with us, and uh, we're heading about 75 miles an hour down uh, through the middle of Interstate 10, and suddenly, it's like we just hit something. I don't know what it was. And suddenly, the back left tire, I hear this like, bum, 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 and I'm like, oh, what just happened, you know? And, uh, and the hardest thing about this is I'm looking in my, mirror, in my mirror, and I can see rubber from the tire being flung up behind the car, and I'm getting really freaked out. I'm like, I've got other people's kids in this car with me. What's going to happen? This is really bad. And the worst part about it is I've got to slow down because I've got a tire blowout, but everyone on the right side of me is just roaring by me like no one, like there's nothing wrong because they're just going to their destination. And I'm trying to get over and I can't get over. And this is a really harrowing experience for me, right? And, uh, and so I find my way to, to inch over to the, what I think is going to be an exit lane. And so I'm trying to exit off of this road. And I've already had to go about a mile and a half with this tire disintegrating behind us. And uh, I get off on this, what I think is an exit lane. And then I realize it's not an exit lane. It's just the ramp that takes you onto 610 going south, and there's no way off. And now I'm up in the air 40 or 50 feet on a, like a high-rise like, uh, ramp, and it's still just as bad, if not worse, because now there's hardly any shoulder 
on this ramp that I'm now on up in the air. And so it's getting really bad. It sounds worse and worse and worse. And I'm looking for sparks. Do I see sparks behind the car? If I see sparks, this could go really bad very quickly. And uh, so we finally, I finally get to a place where I say, I'm a, I get off and I'm, I'm now on the shoulder, but I'm still up in the air and I can see an exit up ahead. And I just decided, I said, listen, girls, I cannot drive this car any further without endangering our lives. So I need you guys to get out and walk down this exit ramp while I deal with this thing. And so um, Catherine was with me. And so she, um, they all exited the car and, uh, and they um, walked down toward the exit. And now I'm up on this ramp trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I've got um, cars just roaring by me. And I'm thinking like half the car is still out in one of the lanes of traffic because I couldn't get all the way off to the side. And uh, there's cars just coming over the little hill there on the ramp. And, um, and so I call 911. That's what I was told to do. And they said they will send a, a truck out there to get you out of this spot. And so um, the girls went on their way. And I, I know they, I was freaking out. Like I was really freaking out. The girls, however, were not. They thought it was funny, I think. So they're walking down the highway there. A little group photo of me is there like in the back. You can't see her. Um, but they thought, they're like, hey, this is chill. Like at this point, they know they're safe, so they're fine, right? They're, they're good. Meanwhile, Dave is freaking out up on the ramp on what's going to happen to this car. So they got a ride to the next spot, um, I think with Robert's help. And then um, I'm left to deal with this car. So long story short is that a guy came out, and this guy was a hero. I mean, almost like a guardian angel. And he, uh, he pulled his truck up. He kind of guarded his, used his truck to guard the car with, with, from traffic. And that dude, like, laid on the ground with cars whizzing by him and changed the tire, put on the uh, spare tire, got me to discount tire. I got two new tires out of it uh, when, once I got there. And I was back in time for the start of their next club. It was crazy. The whole experience was, was, was very harrowing, and uh, it was very, very difficult to walk through. Now, again, it's very difficult to determine the most important part of a car because they're all extremely important, right? Now, let me ask you this question. What's the most important part of a church? Well, don't answer that question just yet because we're going to get there. There might be some roles that might seem more significant, but listen, they're all essential and they've got to work together, just like you might find in an automobile. Now, whenever we gather on a Sunday, it might seem like those on this stage are the most important, but that's not true. Because right now, if you ask people that feed my sheep, who are the most important people in the church, they would say Patty and Gino Pitts, Gabby, Kate, Avery, Season, Eve, Jay, and any others that went to go serve with them today over at Feed My Sheep. They would say that because... They are helping to feed them today because that's a more urgent thing for them in this moment. So later today, we're going to be giving some food from this building to many people that are in need as well. And, uh, and so for those receiving food, the people that are staying back to distribute that food, you might seem like the most important people to those people today as you give food to them. So when we look at the whole snapshot of 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, they deal with issues around the corporate worship gathering, but chapters 12 to 14 are going to deal with something called spiritual gifts. Now, what, is, what are spiritual gifts? A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to be used in building up the body of Christ. So many of the things that we consider to be talents 
or natural abilities, Paul just says those are gifts from God. God's given those things to you. And it's only in his grace, like think of what is a gift. A gift is something you can't earn, right? So a gift, we say the gift of salvation, but there's also spiritual gifts. When you become a believer, God, I think God transforms your natural talents. That becomes a spiritual gift. And so I'm going to summarize for you just 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. And then we'll cover more specifically verses after that. But I'll, I'll, I'll go through this fairly quickly. But spiritual gifts were causing division in that church, and they can do the same thing today. If you were to, you know, ask people the question, like, what are some of those divisive topics and issues in the church? Many would say the topic of spiritual gifts. We'll get to why in just a moment. But there are varieties of gifts and service and activities, but it is God is the one who gives those things and empowers us to do those things. If you recall what they've been divided over in the church in Corinth, it's been division around people's gifts. And like, who's the better speaker? Who's the better teacher? Who's the better leader? And that's what they're arguing about and dividing over. And this all centers around spiritual gifts and division in the body because of that. Now, spiritual gifts are given so that the body can be built up in unity. But tragically, almost nothing is more divisive in the church today than this topic of spiritual gifts. So uh, the real key verse we're going to focus on is verse 7. And it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So everyone, every believer has at least one, if not more, spiritual gift. And they are given for the common good. This verse tells us that. The benefit of everyone, not just for you to enjoy or to prop yourself up. They're not given so that someone can parade their spirituality or show off to other people. Or have some just personal experience which does not benefit anyone else. So every believer, we, we think, has at least one, maybe more, but no one has them all. And that's great. That's a gift from God as well, because if anybody had all the gifts, then you wouldn't need anybody else. And the idea behind the gifts is that we are interdependent, as Courtney talked about last week, upon one another, and that is God's uh, good design for us. Now, our theme has been consumer Christianity, and many people believe that it is the church's job to create spiritual goods and services for them to consume, and that's it. Many people see the church as my, the church's job is to create like services and programs for me to enjoy for my spiritual benefit, and then I just come and partake and sit in a chair, and I walk out the door, and that's pretty much how it goes. And um, I would say it's not, that's not the point of the church. The, the church's job is to help you discover your spiritual gifts so that you can serve the body. That's the point. So I have a question for you. Do you feel bored in your faith? It might be because you're not doing anything with the gifts that God has given you. If all you do is show up and just sit in a chair with your arms crossed, thinking, you know, this, this, this sermon better be good. If it's not, I'm on my phone. I'm checking out. I'm doing something else. Well, no wonder you're bored. If that's, if that's your version of the faith of Christianity, is just to come and be entertained and be wowed by some speaker. If that's it, then no wonder you're bored with your faith. I'd be bored with that. I get bored listening to me too, okay? So the ones, the spiritual gifts listed here, and there are more listed elsewhere. Uh, we'll cover the ones just listed here in this section. But the spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, We'll go through them very quickly. The first is wisdom. 
And this is ability to speak, to speak into a situation with great insight. So is there someone that you go to with problems and they... Check, check, check. I've got batteries, so another mic will be good. Play some jazz. Yes. So, uh, so wisdom, is there, is there someone that you go to with problems and they always seem to know what to say and do? Well, that person has the gift of wisdom, most likely. How about the gift of knowledge? This is the ability to apply truth to life, which is similar to the gift of wisdom, of course. These people are great at applying the Bible to life. They're great for maybe teaching or helping to lead discussions or um, participate in discussions, maybe if they're part of a home group, possibly. Uh, there is the gift of faith. This is the ability to look ahead and trust God to do something. Now, um, we know that we have faith so that we can be saved, right? Now, it's not, a, it's not something that we earn, of course. That also is a gift from God, we, we believe as well. But this is not about salvation faith. This is a, the person who inspires people around them with faith. What is the deal? <laughs> All right, where was I? So we have to talk about faith, healing. Let's discuss healing. So healing is the ability to provide emotional, spiritual, or even physical healing. Now bear with me on this. Now this is more than just physical because somebody could be a counselor or pastor and help someone heal emotionally or spiritually. Have you thought about healing in that context? But we also know that God used the apostles, Paul, and others to bring physical healing. Now do people have this gift today? Here's my response. I don't know. Because if someone had the gift, it would be, I think, self-evident. They wouldn't have to go around convincing everyone they had it because it would be obvious if they did. Now, we should always pray for healing for people. And if God grants that, well, does that mean that person has the gift of healing? I'm not really sure how to parse all that out and figure that out. There are people that are much smarter than me that have dealt with this topic in much greater detail, but um, we know that this happened, of course, in the early church. I w I'm a person that will, will never say that certain, certain gifts no longer exist. I will never say that. God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. So that's my short answer to that question. Now, there's the gift of prophecy, and again, this has a lot of context behind it, but it's the ability to encourage and comfort the gathered community. Now, some believe this is an ability to speak something that God reveals or brings to their mind, but it would not be on the same level as Scripture. But it's also the ability, to, I think, to share the gospel, someone who's really good at, like, you know, calling out sin and, and speaking truth to people, whether it be just calling a believer to repent or whether it be to share the gospel in an evangelistic kind of way, and that person then comes to faith. I think that would be considered a gift of prophecy as well. Then you have discernment. This is the ability to distinguish between the spirits, meaning the Holy Spirit, and something that could be demonic. Now, some people claim to speak with Holy Spirit power or the Holy Spirit's influence, but they could be mistaken when they claim that. So I get worried at times when people say things like, you know, God told me, fill in the blank, and they just declare it from on high, like they know for sure that God told them whatever that thing was but they're not open to people, others in the body of Christ, that might have discernment to say, 
I don't think that God did tell you to buy that Lamborghini and not give money to the poor, you know? I mean, like, that's, there's, with a sermon that might say, you know, I, let's rethink that and what you think God may have told you to do. Then there's the gift of a very uh, non-controversial topic is the gift of tongues, right? It's the ability to speak in a language the speaker does not know. Now, this might be a known language, right? Or it might be not follow the pattern of any known language. And listen, I hate to, like, tease you with this, but we're going to cover this more in chapter 13 and chapter 14. So pause your questions on the topic. I'll, t- I'll say more about it today as well. But in keeping with the speaking in tongues theme, there is the interpretation of tongues. Now, this is the ability to interpret what God has said through someone else. Now, some people claim to, I know people that say this, they would claim to speak privately to God, almost like in a prayer language. But I will say this, if it's, and there is, I think, some evidence for that kind of thing in Scripture. I've never experienced that myself. But if speaking in tongues or something like that is done in a public worship gathering, then I think Paul writes later in his letter there needs to be an interpreter. And again, we'll say more about that as we go through the next couple of chapters. I have seen these things done in a um, long time ago. I won't share this now. I'll share it in the next talk. But I saw both of these things play out in church services that I attended in other parts of the world. And one was done in the biblical way. One was done not, I think, in the biblical way. I'll explain that more next week. Now, here's a helpful guide, I think, to determining spiritual gifts. Uh, Just three simple questions to ask yourself. There are those handy spiritual gifts tests that people take sometimes that they can um, they can take to figure out what are they good at, what do they like to do. But simple questions could go like this. There's affinity, which is what, what, what do I love? Ability, what am I good at? And affirmation, what do others say? And what others say, I think, is important. You can't just declare, like, I'm really good at fill in the blank. Well, if, like, no one else thinks you're good at what that thing is, then maybe you need to rethink that. So um, you may not know some of these things until you get older and mature in, in the faith some, have some time to discover these things. But then next in the passage here, Paul compares the church to a human body. Here's the big idea. When we start following after Jesus, we become part of the church, whether we like it or not. So when you're a believer, if you say, I'm a Christ follower, you're part of the church. The question is, what kind of church member, body member are you going to be? There's a couple of issues, I think, that cause us to pull away from the church. The first is how we see ourselves. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 20, where it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, Where would the sense of hearing, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So the Corinthians, they were celebrating the more sensational gifts, like speaking in tongues and prophecy. This is leading to jealousy and division in their midst. And Paul imagines this really funny, absurd conversation, like what if the body could talk to itself and have a conversation with itself? What if the foot 
gets jealous of the hand and says, you know, I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, because I'm not like a foot. Now, or I'm not like a hand. Now, why would, now think about this, why would a foot ever be jealous of a hand? Well, the hand is seen by more people, the hand is more public, the hand is what you use to wave at people, you shake hands with people, it, it's what wears the wedding ring. If you want to honor someone, we say what? We say, give them a hand, right? We don't say, give them some feet. We don't say that. That'd be gross. Now, the hand gets lots of attention, right? The foot has a hard and difficult job because it, it carries all the weight. It gets worn down. Um, you ever notice how anything that's wrong with your foot, it just sounds gross? The word, like calluses, ingrown toenails, bunions. That just sounds disgusting, doesn't it? Now, feet truly, I think, are disgusting. Um, at least my wife thinks that my feet are disgusting. Um, whenever I'm at home, with, like barefoot, she's like, can you please go put on some socks? You have hobbit feet, okay? Like, I don't want to see that. Put them under a blanket. Like, that's disgusting. And uh, we know that feet do the heavy lifting, right? Feet do the heavy lifting. They don't get much public attention. You can see how a foot might be jealous of a hand, and you can see how somebody with the gift of, of helping or serving in the background might get jealous of someone with a more public gift or an upfront gift. So serving, we could say, is doing the heavy lifting while possibly going unnoticed. So now many of us, we know, compare ourselves to other people. If you don't measure up to them and what their gift is, we might start to pull away and think, well, I'm not like them, so I can't be part of the body of Christ. So maybe you're a new Christ follower and you're intimidated by some people and you think, well, I can't be like that, so therefore I can't be part of the body. Listen, that's not true. This isn't true. You think, I'm not like that person. We don't want you to be like that person because they're them and you're your own person, right? Everyone can't be the same. We don't need a bunch of like ears or a bunch of eyes. That would be, that's too much, right? That's not going to work for a body to work that way. So here's the big idea. No one should dismiss their own gifts. No matter what your gift is, no one should dismiss their own gifts. If you're a believer, you're a part of the body, whether you like it or not. But if you simply attend and you don't use your gifts, or if you leave and check out, part of the body, part of us becomes paralyzed if you leave or check out, or if you don't use your gifts here. If you dismiss your own gifts, wishing you were like someone else, at the root of that, there's, there's this jealousy, and it's a belief that says God doesn't really know what he's doing. But we know in this passage that, that God has arranged all the body's members just as he chose. The next reason why people might cause division in the church is how we see others. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Verse 23. And on those, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Okay? Now, this is a part of the passage that you kind of like laugh at. You're like, this is getting too personal. What is Paul talking about? Now, we're going to discuss the uncomfortable element of these verses in just a minute. But first, just as we might, might feel inferior 
like we're not part of the body and we start to pull away. At times we push people away because we think so highly of ourselves and our gifts. We make others feel like they don't belong because we think that our gift is the best one and theirs is inferior. And so some Corinthians were looking at other church members and they're saying, you know what, I don't need you. We don't need you. You're not that important. So we might look at our own gifts compared to someone else and think they're not as gifted as we are. This is like an eye thinking that it no longer needs a hand, okay? But think about that. The next time you get an eyelash stuck in your eye, does that happen to anybody? Is that just me? Happens to me a lot. And it's always at the worst possible moment. Like you're in the store and you can't, you just like start freaking out and, um, and for me, you, you guys have contacts. I don't know how you, do, how, how you wear contacts. I can't handle anything, any particle in my eye whatsoever. If I get an eyelash, it's like I am just, I'm on the floor just like trying to get this thing out. I can't handle any kind of eye pain. So imagine if that next time you, you get that, that happens to you, imagine your life without hands. If you were just, if you just had eyes but no hands, it would be a disaster, right? We know that to be true. So we should never diminish our own gifts or someone else's gifts. I can remember back in the, the early days of COVID, it was really interesting because everything shut down for a while, and they did what? They only allowed this one kind of person to continue going to work. What were they called? They were called essential workers, which I took great offense at, okay, because what, it's true, there are essential workers, and they were like, you know who those people were. They were very, very important people in our world. But I thought of myself, I was like, wait a second. I'm not essential. I'm not an essential worker. And this makes me feel like I'm way, way down here, right? And, uh, but here's the really good news. In the body of Christ, everyone is essential. Everyone's essential in the body of Christ. And if we understand that, it's going to lead to humility, that we have to work together in the body of Christ, as Paul talks about here. Now, for the uncomfortable discussion, some people believe that we, that, that we can put the weaker and the unpresentable parts he talks about here in different categories. Those that seem weaker might refer to internal organs like your liver, your lungs, or your heart. These are very vulnerable organs, of course, that are part of our body. They are hidden, but they are essential to us. And there are certain gifts in the body that are more visible, like maybe preaching or prophesying. But there's also others that are more hidden, like serving or praying. We can survive without an eye or a hand, but you can't survive without a liver. You've got to have that in your body. Then Paul talks about the unpresentable parts of the body. And uh, now to be clear, we can't, I think, take this analogy too far. There are some that I think do take a little bit too far. But I think he's saying that some parts are covered, and in the same way that some people stay in the background, meaning not front and center, I think about people um, just many years ago. Like, if you guys, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but I'll try to make it really quick. Um, many years ago, um, Sunday mornings were just, like, we're trying to figure out a way to, like, just break the ice with conversation with students. And our students, many years ago when I first took over high school, they would, for, they would at times stay in the lobby and just hang out in the lobby until we said, hey, come in for the worship service. And it was just awkward socially. And I was trying to find a way to connect with them and get them in this room to kind of just be together. And I was like, let's do some food. So I had the bright idea of I went to Sam's Club and I got like massive boxes of candy bars for Sunday morning, right? 
And I just put them on the back thing. I was like, hey, and I had kids. There were some kids that loved it. Some were like, that's gross. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Why don't I want a Reese's thing at 11 o'clock in the morning? And uh, I had some students that would wear like those, they'd wear cargo pants back in the day. And they would just like pockets full of like candy. And uh, like one kid would grab like a whole box and stuff them in his pockets. This was not going well. And I had this mom and dad, Stacy and Brian Rue, who said, you know what? If you want to do food, we can do food on Sunday morning. I said, okay, like you thinking like donuts? What are you thinking? And they're like, no, no, we're going to do food. And so they started doing food every Sunday, going shopping and buying food. And that's when we started doing like tables and we had food every Sunday. And so for 10 years, Brian and Stacy Rue, them and others with them, started doing food for high schoolers. I would have never thought of this. They thought of it. And they served in the background, but created a place here, a place of community. And now they stepped out years ago, but the tradition has continued. And so now, like, when y'all get donuts, you're like, I mean, I know y'all love donuts, but it's kind of like a downgrade. Like, you're like, we normally get, this is normally not, this is, we're high rollers in here. Like, we normally get really good stuff in here. And you have people like that to thank. These are people that were in the background and maybe kind of hidden back there, but they brought life and meaning to what happens here on Sunday and, and community. I, I credit that, those things to people like that. So here's the idea, that no one should dismiss the gifts of other people. These are the people who might be unseen or stay in the background, but they bring so much light to the church Community happens when these kind of people serve in these ways. The person with the more visible gift, they don't need the special honor because it's already built in to what they're doing. But we need to show special honor to people, I think, who serve in that way. And then look down at 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 27, where it says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So if we are part of the same body, when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. Think about whenever you, whenever you stub your toe, what happens? Does just your toe react? No. Your whole body reacts in unison. It's like an orchestra of pain, right? Where you just reach down, you grab your toe, your mouth cringes, you yell, you say some Christian curse words maybe. I don't know. But, like, you, listen, that's what happens whenever you react to what happened, right, to your toe. The, the body reacts as a unit when that kind of stuff happens. Now, on the flip side, when one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. If someone wins a race, we don't crown the feet. We crown the whole person, right? They, they did it together. The whole person. So listen, this is really important as we close. How we see God is going to change how we see ourselves and how we see others and how we see the gifts. How you see God will change how you see yourself, how you see others, and how you see these gifts in the body of Christ. And instead of the gifts being about us, they're going to be about glorifying him and bringing him glory and praise. This is why in the next chapter, Paul will address our motive which is behind the gifts, and it's the motive of love. Listen to these words by Stephen Ohm as we close. The most presentable part, the head, that would be Jesus, was willingly dishonored so that the least presentable parts, you and I, might receive honor. The strongest member was made weak and dispensable in order that the weaker members, you and I, 
might be considered indispensable. And this love transforms the sinner's reality. And we'll talk about that love more next week in 1 Corinthians 13. So you guys are going to go to your breakouts uh, today. If you're new and don't know,